Welcome to the Grounded Magic Podcast. We have a unique and beautiful experience for you today. We're joined by T. Thorne Coyle, who is best known as a powerful and prolific witch and writer. But guess what? Thorne is also an amazing dispenser of universal wisdom, who's here to share some of that good stuff with us. T. Thorne Coyle worked in many strange and diverse occupations before setting into write novels. A queer, non-binary mystic, Thorne has been a student of the magical arts for 40 years and taught in nine countries on four continents and in 25 states. Author of the Seashell Cove Paranormal Mystery Series, the Pride Street Paranormal Cozy Mysteries, the Steel Clan Saga, the Witches of Portland, and the Panther Chronicles, Thorne's multiple nonfiction books include Sigil Magic for Writers, Artists, and Other Creatives, Kissing the Limitless, Make Magic of Your Life, and Evolutionary Witchcraft. Thorne's work also appears in many anthologies, magazines, and collections. An active creative, Thorne has written and co-produced four music albums, is a former professional dancer, and an avid amateur photographer. An interloper to the Pacific Northwest U.S., Thorne drinks a lot of tea, pays proper tribute to the neighborhood cats, and talks to crows, squirrels, and trees. Hello, and welcome back to the Ground and Magic podcast. I'm April Tarot. And I'm Sabrina Marie Chase. And today we're excited to welcome T. Thorne Coyle. Hello, Thorne. Hello, thanks for having me. We're so, so excited that you're here. You are a prolific witch writer. You have done so many amazing things. And um, we're just really touched that you said yes to our podcast. And we know you have so much to share. So let's get right into it. We'll start with the first question we ask all of our guests is what is magic to you? Well, I have a couple theories about magic. My main definition is magic is the marriage of breath or life force, breath, will, and desire right? Ooh. So we access life force. We invoke our will, which are, is our ability to put intention into action. And then we are able to better manifest our desire. And mm. magic to be powerful and effective needs breath, will, and desire. But another aspect of magic that I love, that I work with more and more deeply as time goes on, is magic as a sense of wonder, you know, I approach the world with a sense of wonder. I go for my walks every day and I notice the tiny little things that most people pass on by. And that keeps feeding my sense of magic. Um, and we need more wonder in the world. So I think we need more magic in the world. So those are my two current working definitions. Beautiful. I love it. I'm all about the wonder as well, like bringing just that wonder back of just being with your dog and, you know, walking with your dog. And for me, it's I walk with my dog and seeing nature and seeing the trees and feeling the trees and feeling all the energy and love it. Yeah, it offers a sense of connection in a world mm -hmm. that so often seeks to disconnect us. Mm -hmm. So I'm really curious, if you look at your life as a tapestry, and you trace out some of the important threads that brought you here, can you tell us about what those are and how they brought you to this place in your life? Well, I've really always been a spiritual seeker. I had a profound experience around age six or seven where I was surrounded by light and it was palpable. I could feel it, I could see it, I could touch it. 
And that light stayed with me through my childhood and my teenage years. It really, I felt protected me from an often violent, tumultuous life, you know, I was dealing with in my childhood. And so that's where it started. Um, I was raised Catholic. Around age 13, I started saying, well, I believe like all gods are the same. And my parents would say, well, yes, but Jesus is the true God, right? And I was like, that that's not what I mean. And by age 16, I could no longer recite the Nicene Creed. I literally couldn't force the words past my lips. And that's when I started studying um, the craft. I started studying magic and witchcraft. And I realized, oh, what I am and what I've always really been is an animist. You know, the world is alive. It's a magical living place. I interact and have communication and connection with all these things. And that's what started me on my magical path. So magic has been with me since my teens. I'm now in my mid to late 50s. And on the way, I have studied other things, being a spiritual seeker. I've studied various New Age philosophies, you know, in the 80s. Um, I've studied with Buddhist friends of mine. I did a deep dive with the Gurdjieff work. And um, I also studied with the Mevlevi whirling dervishes, which, and all of that came into a connection. You talk about a tapestry, all those threads came together to deepen and inform my work. And so all of my practice and my teaching is all of those threads woven together and um, cycled through my own deep spiritual practice. So I'm not a traditional witch in a lot of ways. Um, but on the other hand, you know, magic workers use what's available to us. <laughs> and that is what I have done. But spiritual practice has been at the top of my priority list from a very, very young age. That's incredibly exciting. And um, it's interesting to hear all of the threads that have contributed to your work because reading it, it's really clear to me that you are uh, someone who pulls together and transmit universal wisdom that works across tradition. Um, looking at crafting a daily practice, a simple mm -hmm. course on self-commitment that you wrote, it's very craft friendly, but I can see it working across a bunch of different traditions for people who come from different places. And I love that. And you mentioned practice, and there's one quote that I thought was especially powerful. It was when you said, for me, practice should always aim toward the integration of all of our parts and the expansions of our capacity to be kinder, more creative, more aware, and more powerful human beings. Yes. So I'd love for you to just talk a little more about that and um, you're very, you tell the story of how you came into practice really well in this. And I'd love if you could tell a little more of it to our listeners. Thank you. Um, so I think because of my tumultuous childhood, I was raised to be a perfectionist. I was raised to be codependent. Um, I was raised in, a, you know, all those traumatic, you know, the, the trauma response that so many yeah. people have. And I realized I was trying to cut parts of myself away or suppress parts of myself. And the more I did that, of course, the more they fought back and the more they controlled my life from behind the scenes. 
So in trying to cut them out or suppress them, I was not aware of their influence. The more I practiced embracing all those parts, sitting with those parts on the cushion every day, bringing all those parts of self to the altar every day, the more I realized what they had to teach me and what the rest of me had to teach those parts. And so I realized integration was key, right? So bringing my whole self to my practice. Um, I had to teach myself how to learn as an adult because my default as a young person was I only did what I thought I was good at because I would get punished if I did things incorrectly. And, you know, I was also precocious. So doing what was easy to me came easily, right? And now I love to learn. I love to practice new things. I love to stretch those muscles because I realize, oh yes, my whole self is on this spiritual and physical and emotional journey, right? And so becoming whole, becoming integrated for me is the key to practice. And that begins with recognizing all my parts. Um, disintegration, I feel it causes a whole cascade of all the ills we're dealing with right now, you know, including climate disaster, war, rampant greed, income inequality, police shootings, you know, all, you know, sexism, misogyny, trans misogyny, and the anti-queer stuff that's happening right now, right? All of that is disintegration. And it doesn't recognize that we ourselves are an ecosystem, that we live in an ecosystem, not only in our communities and our families and in this beautiful planet, but the whole cosmos, right? Star stuff is in our blood, <laughs> right? So those connections and the, that interdependence ripples out into every layer of being. So my spiritual practice, I want to reflect even just a tiny piece of that. Beautiful. I love what you're saying. And I'm like thinking to myself in my own practice. And it's like, I have parts that I definitely don't want to bring to the mat in the day. <laughs> kind of like there's parts of myself, like, I don't want that part of myself come showing up for my spiritual practice. So could you give us like practical tools on, on how to bring your whole self, like all of those parts of yourself and not ignoring the parts you don't want? Like, how do you, how do you how do you do that? Well, I started by sitting my butt down. Mm -hmm. I resisted sitting practice for decades until finally my Gurdjieff teacher was like, "Sorry, you just have to sit." And it wasn't they didn't call it meditation, which actually was helpful to me because we have here in the West um, some misconceptions about what meditation is. We think, oh, I have to be perfectly still and clear my mind and be light as a feather. And none of that is true. And so we just say, well, I can't do it. Sitting practice for me is sitting with all my parts. Oh, my back aches now. Okay, I'm going to notice that. Oh, I'm concerned about this thing. Okay, I'm going to notice that. I'm having this emotional state. I'll notice that. And I just sit and breathe and keep recentering. And then throughout the day, I say, oh, oh, random thought or emotion. I know you, I sat with you this morning, right? So 
it helps me recognize these are just almost automatic functions of my being. I don't have to give them such weight and control all the time. And if I do give them weight and control, I can then later say, I want to decide what I want to do about that. Do I need to apologize to my partner for acting this way because it was just this automatic response? Or do I need to say, wow, part of self, you need a little extra love right now, or maybe we should go for a walk. You know, um, I'm not sure if that's fully answering your question, but those are just a couple strategies that I have used to help me because the other thing I've realized over the years is that some of those parts of self I dislike have actually been the driving forces of my life's work. I am very impatient and that impatience is sometimes a problem and it has been a problem in the past and I struggled with it and I wished I could will it away, but really my impatience means I want us all to evolve into more compassionate, kinder, creative beings, right? I want to do this work. I want to do the work of social justice in the world because, damn it, something has to change. Mm -hmm. If I wasn't impatient, I'd go, oh, well, the world is as it is. I can't really do anything about it, so I'll just tend my garden. And that's fine for some people. It's not who I am. Who I am is driven by this impatience. So this thing I always thought was a character flaw is actually one of my greatest allies. You have just transformed my whole inner world, Thor. <laughs> <laughs> because really the impatience is one of my one of the things that I'm like, I want it now. And it, it, when I'm wow, thank you for seeing that in a whole new light. And it's because I'm I'm impatient with you. I want the whole world to transform. Yes. I want people to level up. I want people to get yes. their heads out of their butts and to like, hello, we all love each other and we just want to connect with each other and we're doing all of the disconnecting. So wow, wow. And and I and I took on a year of surrender, like just learning to mm. surrender, surrender, surrender. And it was beautiful and it was exactly what I needed. And it helped me a little bit with that impatience, knowing things come in their time when they're ready. But I love that whole that whole refrain about your impatience. Thank you. What a gift. There's a practice, both in some magical traditions and in some Tibetan Buddhist traditions, that is feeding your demons. Again, rather than trying to shove them away, kill them, whatever, excise them. Feeding your demons, feeding those parts of self that we struggle and fight with is a way of acknowledging they have wants and needs too. So what does my impatient want and impatience want and need? Mm -hmm. And can I feed it some of that? And so then all of a sudden, this thing I've been naming a demon becomes an ally. And that is a powerful, magical act. Mm -hmm. But we can only do that consciously. And it definitely takes self-examination. And that's not always an easy task. So for me, this brings up another issue, another barrier, another thing that needs to be turned from poison into medicine, and that is resistance. So I have 11 practices that I track. I don't do them all every day, not even close, but the days I try to do more of them than not. 
And resistance is a big deal. I laughed when I found the place in your course where you said, make a picture of your resistance because I did that. That's My great. resistance looks like one of those snaky things from Beetlejuice and hangs out here and looks at me. And I'm looking at that going, not today, but there are plenty of the days where I say today, you know? And I love what you said about resistance. Um, you pointed out that maybe some of that resistance comes because we know that if we do the practice, we're going to change. That's correct. That we're is gonna correct. Grow. And that's scary. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. So one of my teachers, Victor Anderson, said, anything worthwhile is dangerous. Um, I always add the caveat, not everything dangerous is worthwhile. But it's dangerous because of change. It's dangerous because we are risking the status quo. We are risking our internal comfort level our equilibrium, all the things we're used to. You know, think of a seed under the earth. It has to crack the shell. The sprout has to crack the shell and then push its way up through the earth to find sun and rain and to become the flower or the zucchini or whatever it's meant to be. And we have to do the same thing. We have to crack that shell in order to grow. So the re but the resistance, the beauty about that resistance, and we know this really clearly from butterflies coming out of the chrysalis, they struggle and the struggle actually, the struggle to break through is what strengthens them enough to fly, right? It uses all their muscles and we have to use all of our muscles too on a mental, emotional, heart, body, soul level, right? And the other thing I like to point out about resistance is um, Paolo Salieri's great um, arcology experiment, Arcosanti in the desert, they built huge biodomes to grow their plants and they planted trees and the trees eventually all fell over because the trees never had to root because there was no wind resistance. They never had to resist anything. And so they fell, right? So, wow. so we don't want conditions that are so harsh, you know, it makes life impossible for us. That's not what I'm talking about, but there are good challenges. And resistance is one of those good challenges, right? Um, resistance can help us grow. Resistance teaches us. Resistance helps us grow stronger and more complete and better able to center ourselves. The other thing resistance can do is point to something we've been avoiding, right? Why do I feel this resistance right now? Yes, it's not only because I fear change, um, or upsetting my status quo, but maybe there's something else that I haven't been looking at. So can I pause a moment? Can I take a breath and sit with my resistance before pushing through and say, what do you have to teach me today? You know, I do that sometimes when I'm sitting down to write. There are days when I'm just 
antsy to get to the page. I can't wait. The story's flowing. There are other days where I do feel resistance and I just sit for a moment, take a breath and say, what's here? Oh, maybe I want to approach it from this angle, right? I don't do this for long because I don't want to get trapped in avoidance techniques, right? We're very clever. <laughs> uh, we can always find ways to skirt around things. So I don't give it too much time, but I do give it a little bit of time. I give it a few breaths and then I do the task. I move through. Thank you for that extremely pragmatic lesson. And actually it helps me deal with my worst issue today. Thank you. Excellent. Mm -hmm. So I also want to return this to something that you pointed out privately here, and that's the importance of starting simply in your daily practice. And I would love it if you could address that. People, whenever they start any practice, uh, physical, emotional, spiritual, we often think we need to do all the things we need to, okay, now I need to set aside an hour of time every morning. No. Do what we can, where we can, when we can. That's true of my justice work. That's true of every practice for me. Um, that said, there is value in commitment and discipline, right? So I don't want to be willy-nilly with my practices. But I do want to be gentle, especially when I'm starting. I want to say, okay, starting out, I'm starting by sitting for five minutes. I'm going to light a candle and I'm just going to sit and breathe and look at the candle. Right? And that's all I do. And then I blow out the candle. I go about my day. So I build up my capacity for practice, just like I build up my capacity for anything else. In starting simply, we always have something to return to. If we start grandiose, we have no foundation, right? So it's the simple building blocks that give us the proper support so that our life does not wash away like a building built on sand, right? So start with sitting for five minutes, then add in some stretching practice, then add in some prayer, then add in maybe you need to sit for 20 minutes. Practice that for a month, right? See what happens. Approach it with curiosity. You don't know, right? So keep making simple commitments, but always allow yourself, if today is really truly an overwhelming day, you go back to five minutes. And if that feels like too much, you know, I talked to medical professionals who work in busy emergency rooms and then have children at home. And one of them said, what I do is I just, instead of scrolling on my phone, when I have one minute, I breathe, I center myself, right? Another practice I say to people is go wash your hands, be fully present while you're washing your hands or be fully present while you're drinking your water, right? So we can add in several very simple building blocks to scatter throughout our day, to keep returning us to the heartbeat of practice and center. And then it builds up over time. 
we strengthen our muscles, and we have more support in our lives. Um, and the basic thing is take a breath, drop down, find your center, that place between your navel and your pelvic bowl, and just breathe, even if it's three breaths. So simplicity becomes the thing we can return to. Without simplicity, we have nothing to return to, right? So doing the again. doing the elaborate stuff is great. Don't get me wrong. And I have yeah. done it and I love it and I still do it. But I, the simple stuff is my backbone. It's so good because, you know, I think about, oh, I'm going to get to the gym and I'm going to do an hour at like five times a week. And it like it never happens. And then no. it actually stops me from doing any exercise because, well, I'm not going to the gym. And so I, you know, sit and beat myself up for not going to the gym and doing an hour or five times a week. Whereas it could be like I could do one push up. I could do one sit up and see how that feels and then breathe into my body. Great. So simple for today. And then tomorrow I'll add something else, you know, like it's so good. It's such a great lesson in just starting small, keeping it simple. And you always have that place to return to. One of my favorite things is doing counter push-ups while waiting for my tea water to boil. <laughs> I'm waiting for the water to boil. I may as well get some exercise. <laughs> Or I can stand and breathe, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you yes. know, the the saying you're going to the gym for five hours a week is another way in which perfectionism trips us up. It becomes mm -hmm. a stumbling block and it means, it actually lets us off the hook. Because if we can't do it perfectly, then we don't have to do it at all. Mm, I'm always saying this to Miss Sabrina, done is better than perfect. Done is better That's than right. perfect. Done Guilty. is better than perfect. <laughs> Guilty is charged. Yeah. And another thing I say is practice makes possible. Oh, I love that. Practice makes possible. Yeah. That so is better. what, that's one of my key phrases that I return to. Wow. Love that. Can you talk to us a bit about alignment? Something we talk about a lot is alignment and returning to alignment, returning, like we call it realignment, 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 and aligning with soul, higher self, gods, whatever it is. But what's your, how do you feel about alignment? Alignment is another key practice of mine. And it goes back to the earlier conversation where we were having about um, bringing all of our parts to our practice, bringing all of our parts to the table. If I am keeping some of my parts out in the cold, I'm never going to be in a state of alignment. Uh, we, we think we have to excise all those terrible, awful parts in order to align, but the reality is, is we can't align without them. Um, so alignment is a state of inner truth. Uh, if you think of being true, you know, the forks of a bicycle have to be true. They're in alignment for the bicycle to steer properly and function properly. And it's the same for us, right? We wanna be in a state of alignment. So I want to align my animal nature, my instincts, with my human rational self and my emotions, with my deep wisdom or my God soul or whatever you want to call it, right? I want all those parts to be working in concert. And that starts with self-awareness. Um, but there's also a very simple breathing technique that I was taught by my teachers, Victor and Cora Anderson, but I've also adapted for myself. 
And the simplest way to do it is I take in a breath from my physical body. I take in a breath from my animal self, my instincts, my childlike nature. And I honor that, those parts. And I take in a breath from my human, rational self, my ego, my ambitions, my thoughts, my hopes, my dreams. And I take in a breath from my deep wisdom, my connection with the whole cosmos, my divine nature. And on that fourth exhalation, I tilt my head back and I breathe up as a prayer for alignment. So why don't we just all do that together really briefly? Mm-hmm. Please, yeah, let's, let's do it. Unless you're driving, keep your eyes open if you're driving. <laughs> but breathe. Just Yes. <laughs> so just feel your body, your emotions, all your parts, and invite all of your parts to be present right now. The parts you love, the parts you dislike, the parts you ignore, the parts you embrace. Invite them all to be present. The parts that feel healthy or wounded, creative or ambitious, invite them all to be present. And just start with one full deep breath. And now take in one full deep breath for your animal nature, your instincts, your childlike self and honor all those parts of yourself as you exhale. And when you're ready, take in another breath for your human rational soul, for who you are in the world, your shining self, your ambitions, your hopes, your dreams. And as you exhale, honor all those human parts of yourself. And now take in a deep breath for your deep wisdom, your divine nature, your connection to everything in the cosmos. And as you exhale, tilt your head back and breathe up as a prayer for alignment. (sighs) And any extra energy, feel it cascading around you and back to earth as a blessing. And say, I would know myself in all my parts. Blessed be. Blessed be. Blessed be. Blessed be. Thank you. That is beautiful. Thank you for that gift. What a great way to just get into alignment really quickly. Mm -hmm. Ah, Feeling good. Excellent. (laughs) And the beauty of that is if I do that in the morning, then I can remember to do it throughout the day. And so if I set up that template in the morning, Throughout the day, if I just have extra energy, if I feel excited, or if I have anxiety or anger, I can tilt my head back, breathe some of that extra energy up, and say a prayer for alignment. Wow. Thorne, you are so full of such amazing wisdom. We could talk for hours and hours and hours. Uh, but clearly we can't. Um, so one thing I'd like to wrap up our our episode with is we like to, one of my sayings is that transformation only happens in action. And it's the action, like actually doing things that actually has you transform. It's great to have insights, you know, but it could just be a lot of navel gazing unless you're actually taking action and seeing that transformation become alive and real. So 
one thing we ask at the end of an episode is what are you taking from this conversation that you're going to put into action? So Sabrina, what are you going to take into action? Well, actually, Thorne, like I said, you addressed one of the naughtier problems I face today, which has to do with facing resistance and doing that which is worth doing, which means it's dangerous. So I'm going to take that set of insights into a conversation with my partner directly after this recording session with courage. Fantastic. Awesome. And for me, there's so much, I was writing so many notes as you were talking, but one of the ones is um, uh, asking the parts of myself what they need and feeding them something that they need, as opposed to just go away, get away. I don't want to be part of me anymore. That's just, it's such a beautiful thing. Actually, I did um, did a lot of transformational work from a part of myself and actually repurposed that part for to do, have another job. And it was life transforming, like life transforming. And I, oh, I could do that with all the other parts too. So I'm going to talk to those parts and ask them, ask them what it is they need and have conversations with them as opposed to avoiding them. So I love that. that. Mm -hmm. And the thing I'm going to take into action, and I love this question because as I started, you know, will is intention in action, right? Mm. Um, The action I'm going to take is to remember, no matter, I I work for myself and I do a variety of jobs throughout the day. And the thing I'm going to take into action is remembering to recenter every time I switch tasks, Mm. right? So I'm going to center before writing fiction. I'll center before writing nonfiction. I'll center before writing an email, I'll center before doing publishing work, right? And I think that is going to become a new heartbeat over the next quarter that I, that's my intention is to practice with that for the next three months. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for sharing it so generously with us. You are an absolute treat to have on the podcast. I'm hoping that maybe we can have you back on again at another time because I I feel like we've just like scratched the surface of Thorn Coil for sure. I would love that. Thanks so much again for inviting me. And I wish you blessings on all of your work. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now go and take that magic into your day. If you really liked our podcast and don't want to miss another episode, please subscribe and or follow. This allows others to find us more easily and the magic will be multiplied. And we all want more magic in the world. You can also help others find us by rating us and leaving a stellar review. The Grounded Magic Podcast is powered by Indigo Fires Productions. Sound engineered by Eric Tarot of Tarot Studios. Music composed and performed by Eric Tarot. Online business management by Natalie Gallagher of IOMI Digital. Founded by April Tarot and Sabrina Marie Chase.